All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to have you all joining us this morning. You are you chose a great Sunday to be here. Is we believe everyone was created on purpose and for a purpose. And we just want to meet people where they're at and lead them to a life-changing encounter with Jesus. That's what we do. We have a special speaker with us this morning. Pastor Jim Philbeck has joined us. Uh, he invested. I don't know if you all remembered him or if you were with us at the time. He spoke with us out on the land. Uh, he works for the district. Uh, and he's just in, invested a lot of, um, I know, prayer time and, and into my life and into Christy's life and into our church. And so I wanted him to come up and see what God's been doing. And this is what he's poured into. And so I appreciate the fact that he's with us this morning. Again, I know he pastored down at Rochester. I'm not sure for how many years, but he had a growing church down there. And, and, and God led him to step into the role in the district. And so now he gets to feed into us and help us out. And so I appreciate him. I, I, I'm, again, humbled to call him a friend because I know where he's been, what he's done. He's somebody I would look to, to continue to grow towards and become like as a pastor, how he loved his people. And so I hope you feel that love that he has for just God's people this morning as he shares with us. So let's welcome him up this morning. Give him a hand. Uh, there we go. Uh, but yeah, I was here when it was windy. And I think it was a bit chilly that day, if I remember correctly. And I remember the drummer had these sunglasses on, and I said, I want to be cool like that someday, you know. <laughs> and uh, the worship was great then, and the worship is great now. And uh, I remember some of your faces. I remember one of you had a hot rod. It was either car or truck. Who was that? Yeah. I re did you drive that today, did you? No, I'm just kidding. I, I know better than that. I know better. Uh, so I'm just glad to be with you guys this morning. But I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Um, remember the story of the talents? One guy got one talent, one got two, one got five. The guy with five went and invested it, doubled his income, uh, gave it to the master. One with two invested it, doubled it, gave it to the master. And the one with one buried it and came back and gave one. You remember that story? I feel like the Lord was saying to me to tell you today that you didn't bury the one talent, that you endured the storms, the wind, the rain, the outdoors, and you didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but God wants you to know this is what happened. I mean, you guys have been blessed, and I honestly believe, you know, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. So thankful, thankful that you did, you did well with the little. And because you were faithful with the little, guess what happens? He entrusts you with more. So uh, be encouraged today. The best days are yet to come. Be encouraged. God is not done. He's just beginning. And uh, I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do. Uh, it's great to be with our pastor. I don't know, am I too loud or is it just me up on the front? Is it good? Okay. Uh, it's great to be with your pastor, uh, Vision. I mean, the guy's excited. And if I could play bass like he plays bass, thumping around and jumping around, I mean, what a gift. So I just, I want to tell you that you guys have something special. And when you have something special, it's all about God and it's not about you. And when you realize it's not about you, then it becomes even more special. And people will walk into your life and say, wow, there's something special about this place. And you go, what do you mean? This is who we are. Exactly. That's who we are. It's not something we created. It's who we are as people. So, uh, yeah, I, I was pastoring in Rochester for 16 and a half years. And uh, when I arrived there, the church was in trouble. Uh, 
the pastor that I followed had committed a moral failure. Four years before that, they had a church split. And so it was really difficult first couple of years. And so 16 and a half years later, the church was thriving and things were going well. And so my peers decided that I should go to the district office. And uh, then I get the joy to travel and visit people like you. So what a joy to be here today. Uh, I think I shared with you before, but my wife and I, we are high school sweethearts. Um, I also think I shared with you that when I was in fourth grade, help me remind me if I've said these things. When I was in fourth grade, I uh, actually would have been fifth grade, uh, during the lunch hour at Central Park Elementary School, as the teachers were down in the teacher's lounge eating lunch and all the kids were out on the playground, I snuck back into my classroom. And I got on my hands and knees because the windows were open to the, to the playground so that people could see in. I got on my hands and knees and I crawled on the floor up to the teacher's desk. Do you guys remember this story? And I opened up the drawer, the bottom right-hand drawer, and it had the files of all the students. And I went through A, B, C, D, E, F. F is for Philbeck, James. I pulled out my file and I opened it up. Inside of that file, it had every teacher's my previous teachers would tell the next teacher, this is Jim Philbeck, and this is what he's good at, and this is where you need to watch, and blah, blah, blah. So ever since kindergarten, there was every teacher had written a one-page note. And I opened it up, and my fourth-grade teacher, Mrs. Nelson, and I can still see it in black felt-tip pen. She wrote these words, whoever gets little Jimmy next year, be careful. And then she said these words, he doesn't know it, but his mother has cancer. And I closed up that file and I put it back in that drawer and I didn't know what to do. Number one, I can't go tell anybody because I was on my hands and knees going through the teacher's desk. Within the next couple weeks, we had to go to the doctor's office, my older sister and I and my dad, and we had to get a shot because they thought they, we, my mom might have had hepatitis C. It wasn't hepatitis C. A couple weeks later, we, my mom goes down to Mayo Clinic and she found out she had cancer of the pancreas. They went and did surgery. Uh, it was a long surgery. I was staying at overnight at my grandparents' house in Pine Island, Minnesota. If you've ever been down to Rochester area, there's a town called Pine Island. It's where my mom grew up. At about midnight, I'm laying in the bed, and I'm kind of awake, and I hear my dad come in the door, and I hear him come up the steps of that old crickety house on Main Street, and he comes up the steps, and, and he sits down on the bed, and he actually wakes me up. And he says, Jim, I, I just need to let you know the surgery went well. And then he starts crying. And then he says, they've given your mom two years to live. I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. And some of you say, why is your dad telling you this? I think my dad was in shock. I don't think he knew what to do. And so the journey begins. She had the surgery. They gave her two years to live. Guess what happened about 12 months later? She ended up giving birth to my little baby sister. 
The doctor said, get an abortion, don't do it. You might kill your wife. My mom and dad said, we don't kill babies. They went through the process. They went through the birth. Everything was fine. And my little sister's married today, and she's got a couple kids and doing well. So that was at the second year, like 12, 12 or 14 months into it, right? She goes to the two-year mark, strong, three years, strong, four years, strong. Man, as far as my family was concerned, she was healed. But at the four-and-a-half-year mark, she started getting sick again. And on July 1st, 1979, on a Sunday morning, just like today, I was laying in my bed. I can still remember the sun shining into my room about 7 a.m. My grandparents were out in the living room, and I heard my grandpa say, she's gone. And as I come running out of my room, I walk into the living room in our small little house. They had a, a bed, hospital bed in the living room. I watched my grandfather close my mother's eyes and fold her arms and start weeping like a baby. Six foot four guy, weeping like a baby. And I ran back in my room and I was again confused, like I'm 15 now and I don't know what to do. My grandma comes in, tries to console me. The lady that was the caretaker there, giver, whatever, she came in, Susie Cook, and she's hugging me and saying, you know, anything you want to say? It's like, what do you say? And I think within about 24 hours, I made a decision. My mom and dad always taught me that God is a God of love. And I said, if this is how God shows love, I don't want it. And I didn't tell anybody except my youth pastor. And I, I begged him, please don't tell my dad, but I said, I make, I'm making a decision. I know I have to go to church because I'm the pastor's son, but I make a decision today that I turn my back on God. I'm done. And at the age of 15, I turned my back, literally turned my back and said, I don't want you anymore. And for the next three to four years, I lived my life. I would go to school. I would live a certain way. I would come home. And my dad, I knew he, he had to know. I mean, he, had, he never said anything to me, but he had to know. And for the next three to four years, I would go to church on Sunday because I had to. And on Monday through Saturday, I lived the life that I wanted to live, and I more or less did this to God. When I was 19, I made a decision to go make money, and I saw a commercial on TV by DeVry Institute of Technology. Anyone ever seen those commercials? And I chose to go to Lombard, Illinois. And so I got in my 1967 Mustang, Three-speed on the floor. It had a little Mark IV air conditioning unit. Man, it was a nice-looking car. It had side pipes on it, big thick tires on the back. And I packed my car, and most of my car was filled with my stereo. I had, like, one thing of clothes, and that was it. It was packed to the gills, but most of it was my speakers and my stereo equipment. And I drove off to go to school in Lombard, Illinois. And while I'm in Lombard, Illinois, my dad calls me, like, three times a week son, what church are you going to? And I'm thinking, I ain't going to church. I don't believe in God anymore, right? He says, son, just, you need to go to church. I said, so I thought to myself, I'm going to play, I'm going to play a game on my dad. I'm going to go to church one time, and then I'm going to lie to him and say, that's the church I'm attending. So on a Sunday morning, I drive to Lombard Assembly of God. I walk into this building that has about, it probably seats 250. 
I'm seated in the, it has two sections. I'm seated about halfway back on this side. And the moment the music started, I start crying. Until the pastor says the final amen, I've got tears coming down. I can't get out of there fast enough. I get in my Mustang and I drive home and I'm like, I'm done. Now I can tell my dad, I go to Lombard Assembly of God and I'll never go back. I get home, my roommate, three roommates, they're making macaroni and cheese and hot dogs, right? And so that was our lunch and we watched MASH. And we're sitting there watching MASH, eating hot dogs and macaroni and cheese and there's a knock on the door. Do you remember this story, Park? Do you remember this? As I go to the door, my, my roommate goes to the door, he says, Jim, it's for you. I go to the door, like, who knows? nobody knows me. There's a guy in a suit coat and a tie. And he says, Jim Philbeck? I go, yeah. He said, my name is Mark Bochansky. I said, hi, how do, you know, how do you know me? He goes, you were at church today. I said, how do you know I was at church today? He said, because you filled out a visitor card. <laughs> this, is like within 40, this is like within 60 minutes of the service being done. And I'm thinking, who in their right mind goes and visits somebody within the first 60 minutes? He did. And he wouldn't leave. (laughs) True story. He wouldn't leave. He just kept hounding me. And he said, come back to church tonight. And just to get rid of him, and I was embarrassed. My roommates were like, who's that? Just to get rid of him, I said, I'll come back tonight. I go back that night, and I sit in a service. The moment it starts with worship, I start weeping. When the service ends, I can't get out of there fast enough. I get in my car, I'm driving down the road, and if you've ever seen my uh, wipers on a 67 Mustang, they they go like this, but they do nothing, right? (laughs) Right? And I, I can't see a thing. It is pouring outside, and the wipers are going like this, and I pull over and I realize it's also raining inside because I am bawling like a baby, and the Holy Spirit's challenging me. Jim, I've called you. I've got a plan for your life. It's not too late. And I remember saying, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I said, if I say yes to you, there's no turning back. And I remember I hit the steering wheel and it was like, boom, lights on. It was like, whoa, something just happened. I know what happened. I didn't say a prayer. My heart said a prayer. I said yes to Jesus. And I started the car. I drove back to my roommate's. I said, I'm leaving. I'm going home tomorrow. I called my dad on the phone. I said, Dad, can I come home? And he's like, Jim, what did you do? Right? (laughs) And I said, I didn't do anything. I met Jesus. Now, what is it like when you're a pastor's kid and you tell your dad, I met Jesus? I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but listen to me. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can go to church every Sunday. You can be involved in worship, youth, kids. You can do any. You can serve coffee. It's possible not to know Jesus in the midst of it. But there comes a point in your life when you make a decision. And that's what's going to lead to this message today. So if you have your Bibles handy, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. How many of you have ever been on any long road trips? like long road trips. When I was a kid, my parents would drive down to Pine Island and we would, we would load up my grandpa's Buick Electra. Remember those cars, 1970s, Buick Electra, something like that? The thing was like a huge boat, right? It had three, you could fit three people in the front, three people in the back, and the trunk was huge, right? So we would load up our suitcases and we would, on an early morning, probably early Monday morning, we would get in the car and we would drive to uh, Independence, Missouri, and visit my Uncle Joe. And then the next day, we would drive to Ada, Oklahoma, to visit my Uncle Jim. 
And then the next day, we would drive to, Ker- drive to Kerrville, Texas. Anyone ever heard of Kerrville, Texas? It's a, it's a beautiful country. And my grandma lived in Kerrville, Texas. It was a three-day journey. It was a road trip. And how many of you know road trips are fun? Okay. How many of you believe that we're on a spiritual road trip? You're on a journey. All right, let's read this passage. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. It says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that means by doing all the right things. It's not about doing all the right things, okay? He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on, and this is what I see about the church here, keep pressing on, right? But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's just pray real quick. Father, I pray for the next few minutes. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide my lips today, not my will, not my words, but yours. And I pray that in this room right now, Lord, you would open up hearts and spirits to be ready to hear what you're saying. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to understand. We'll be sure to give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. All right, if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you five trip reminders. We're on a trip, okay? We're going on a journey, all right? Five trip reminders. Number one, I must acknowledge that I'm actually going on a journey. For the first many years of Paul's life, or Saul, if you want to call him Saul, because that was his name, he thought he was tracking with God. He obeyed all the rules of the church. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He was a Pharisee. He lived by the law. He was legalistic as they come. In, in Saul's eyes, he thought he was tracking with God. He was like the sper- perfect spiritual specimen. Everybody wanted to be like Saul, But in verse 7, we read today, whatever was to my profit, he said, all this great stuff that I've done, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What was Paul saying? I've lived a better righteous life than anybody else around me. But I'm not right with Jesus. I've done all the things. I've obeyed all the laws. I know the commandments by heart. He said, I've done everything right. But he said, I consider it loss. Why? Because he didn't know Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. Somewhere along the journey of your life, you're going to have to have a chance. You will have a chance to say yes to Jesus. 
You might be introduced by a family member, might say, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus. It could be a co-worker, a friend, a stranger. Just this week, I was buying some uh, in, in the cabin filter for our Dodge Caravan in the glove box area. You pop that thing down, there's a cabin filter in there. So I went to Fleet Farm because they had 10% off on the filters. And I get the filter and I'm standing in line and there's this lady in front of me. She's probably 75. She just seems really sweet, right? And then when she's getting ready to pay, she's extremely slow, number one. And she's paying with cash, which is fine. But she's, and then she's counting out all the extra pennies, right? Because she wants to get it to the exact number. And as she's doing it, I can tell like something's different about this woman. And she's talking to the guy, the register guy, the guy at the register, his name's Tim. And she's talking to him and conversing. And as she's getting, and she's getting paid, now she's getting the change or whatever it was that she was getting the receipt. She looks at him and I kid you not. She said, hey, Tim, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Now, here's the deal. I don't know where Tim is at. Every one of us in this room, everybody outside of this room, there's going to be moments in your life when somebody is going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Now, maybe that day, Tim went home and said, I don't know Jesus. And maybe he looked up into heaven and said, Jesus, if you're real, come and, come and touch my life. I don't know. But every single one of us in this room are on a spiritual journey. And you're going to have to make a decision. You have to acknowledge that you're on a journey, that you have to start fresh with God. It's got to be a start over in a sense. Trip reminder number two, you have to leave everything behind and start with the basics. You say, well, Pastor Jim, what do you mean? Well, on the road trip, we have to decide what we're going to pack because we only have so much room in the trunk of that 1970s Buick Electra. You can't say to your kids, go get your toys. They can't bring all the toys out of the house and try to fit it in the car. It's not going to work. You have to say, okay, here's a bag, fill it with toys. We've got suitcases for each family member. This is going to fit in the car. You have to decide, wait a minute, I can start with the basics. I can't have everything. You say, well, what do you mean by the basics? Well, in a spiritual journey on this road trip, there comes this point when you realize that you're going to have to walk away from the things that this world says is important. And the world has a lot of bells and whistles. I mean, the world tells you all these things that you need to have in order to be happy. The world tells you all these things that you need to accomplish in order to live a fruitful life. No, when you give your life to Christ and you start this new journey, it starts with the basics. Paul says it like this, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus finally became the Lord of Saul's life, Paul's life. What he's really saying is, Jesus is my Savior. He's not my religion. I want to tell you a story of a man. When I was a young boy growing up in our church, there was a guy that was about six foot five. His name was Wally. He had a bald head. He drove semi for a living. I was best friends with his son. He had like five or six kids in his family. They came every Sunday. Uh, he was an usher and he was scary. He was scary. Uh, I just remember as a little kid, he, he wasn't afraid to whack his kids if they got out of line in church. I mean, today, if he would have done that, he'd be in jail, right? But back in the day, it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, whatever, if you don't sit still. I mean, it was like, 
boom. So I was a little bit afraid of him. And I remember one Sunday coming to church, and he was by the front doors, and as I came walking by, Wally actually got down on one knee, and he kind of shook my hand. He said, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? And I remember looking at him as he looked into my eyes, and I thought, something's different. He doesn't seem as scary. And I, I was a kid, so I didn't really understand. I, we have church that morning. We go home. My mom made uh, lunch. We're sitting around the table, and my dad looks at my mom, and he, and he says, honey, did you see Wally today? And she goes, well, yeah, I saw him at a distance. Well, did you talk to him? She said, no. He said, Wally met Jesus this week. And I thought, wait a minute. Wally's been in the church as long as I've been alive. Wally's like a servant. He comes and does this, does that. Listen to me. You can be a part of the church and do all the right things and still not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's not about what you do for him. It's what he did for you. And out of what he did for you, that's why you do what you do. Does that make sense? Wally changed his life because he met Jesus. He started fresh. I wonder this morning, have you started your spiritual journey yet? Have you made a decision that it's not what I do that counts, it's what he did for me that counts? And because of what he did for me, now I want to serve? Number three, trip reminder number three. Spiritual roads are all about denying yourself. Once you decide to get in the car and start the journey for Texas, you don't go back. You keep going. Likewise, in a spiritual journey, once you say yes to Jesus, man, you don't want to keep looking over your shoulder and thinking, well, I wonder if I... You know, you, you start your journey and you keep going. I remember when I was a little kid, we would be in the car and I had to sit in the front seat. And how many of you remember those cars back in the day where they had the big hump that went from the front all the way to the back because of the drivetrain, right? And so I remember as a kid sitting there, my feet would be up on top of that hump and, and they had bags and stuff shoved in between us. It was packed. And my legs started to ache. Anyone ever have ache, achy legs? And I just kept moving. And my dad would say, sit still. And I, I can't. You know what? And I didn't have to go to the bathroom. I just, my body was hurting. Sitting in that car, the way, the way I was sitting, it was like this. And I would keep moving. And my dad would say, stop it. Stop. I couldn't. What was my body saying? My body was saying we need a pit stop. We need, we need a time to take a break. Why? Because I'm suffering. I'm suffering. Paul understood the feeling of a spiritual journey, and he understood what suffering was all about. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrections, and I want to share in his sufferings. We all like the resurrection, I mean, we preach on the resurrection. We don't really talk a lot about suffering. Somebody said, I live to die, and I die to live. I live now to die, because I'm going to die. I want to die someday. I'm going to go meet Jesus. But when I die, I live forever with Jesus. How many of you know that the Christian life is not a bed of roses? How many of you know behind every rose there is a thorn. What does that mean? The rose bush is beautiful, but behind the, behind the rose bush is these thorns. Life isn't always easy. So on our journeys, like in the car when we're driving to Texas, a deer runs out, right? Or something's in the road and you didn't see it, and all of a sudden you hit it and your car gets to the bottom of it ripped. It's like, what's going on? Well, you, you don't stop. 
right? You, you pull over and check it out, but you, you continue to go on your journey. How many of you have ever had situations in your life that you didn't like? Did you stop serving God? No, you, get, you, you fix it, and then you brush yourself off and say, I'm going to continue on my journey, and I'm going to live for Jesus. No matter what happens, I know where I'm going. I know my destination. I deny myself, and I move forward. You are on a spiritual road trip. You know where you started. You know where you're going to end up. And Paul says, I want to end up where there is resurrection of dead people. How cool is that? When I die, they're going to bury me in the ground. The Bible says someday, the dead in Christ will rise. And those that remain will meet him in the air. What's your destination? My destination is I want to be either dead or alive. And I want to die or I want to live because I'm going to meet Jesus in the air. You know, that bench seat that I would sit in in the car where that hump was and my legs weren't very comfortable in there, it's okay. Likewise, in the spiritual journey, you are going to face things in your life that aren't comfortable, but you still need to get up, brush yourself off, and keep going on the journey. The spiritual road trip that you are currently on, sometimes you will have pain, sometimes you'll have sadness, but the goal is to keep on course. You know, when I was a little boy, my dad handed me something that was called a map. Anyone ever seen a map? Most young kids today, they always, oh, you mean Google, Google map. No, I mean an actual map that you have to look at that doesn't speak to you and say, this is what you do, turn right. No, no, you actually have to look at where you're starting Pine Island, Minnesota, and then you have to look at where Texas is down here in Kerrville, and then you have to map out your journey. Do you guys know the map? Somebody can't tell you what to do. You have to make a decision. This is where I'm starting. This is where I'm going to finish. And all the stuff that happens in the middle, hey, it's okay. If I, if, I get, if I hit a deer, I'm going to pull over, take care of business, and then I'm going to get back on the road. If we get sideswiped by a semi-truck, that's fine. We pull over, we take care of business, get the car fixed, and we head on down the road. Number four, Paul says, press on towards the goal. It literally means to chase after God, like literally chasing after God. Pressing towards the goal means I'm running after God. And I love what Paul says. He hasn't arrived yet. I'm not the perfect Christian even though everybody thought he was. How many of you can relate with Paul that you're not the perfect Christian? I was talking with someone not too long ago, and they, 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 they were upset with themselves because they, they were working on their car, and the ratchet slipped, and their hand went across them, some bolts and just shredded his hand, it just, and, he, and he started cussing. And he said to me, Pastor Jim, I can't believe it, I was cussing. And he was so down on himself. And I said, man, I said, when you, know, when you gave your heart to Christ 10 years ago, whatever it was, when you gave your heart to Christ, did you cuss back then? He goes, are you kidding me? He said, every other word was a cuss word. I said, do you do that today? He said, no way, I'm not even close to that. It's only when I hurt myself usually that it comes out. I said, 
You're not what you used to be. You're not yet what you want to be. So you get up and say, ooh, I probably shouldn't have said that. God, forgive me. Brush yourself off and get on with the journey. I mean, he was a radical conversion. And his life was amazing. You can see it, how God has changed his life. And he did cuss one day, yes. And guess what he had to do? God, forgive me. And pull himself back together. Okay, let's go. God, forgive me. And get on with the journey. Go towards the goal. Hold on to Christ. Just like Jesus held on to you, hold on to Christ. You know, when I was a little boy, my dad on occasions, whenever I was kind of a, uh, I'm kind of an insecure kid growing up. You can understand the dynamics of my home. And I remember one time my dad, he got down on his knees and he grabbed me by the shoulders. So he's face to face and he didn't shake me, but he squeezed my shoulders and he kind of like went like this, Jim, it's going to be okay. Chill out, slow down, take a breath. You're going to be okay. And I sometimes wonder when we are freaking out spiritually, I have this vision in my head of Jesus getting down eye level with us, grabbing us by the shoulders and going, hey, 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 calm down. I love you. You love me. It's going to be okay. Let's go. Let's keep going. Keep the vision on where you're going. You know the prize. You know the goal. Let's go. Take a break, Jim. It's going to be okay. So, number five, how do I... How do I press on? Pressing on is not always the easiest. Paul says those who are going to finish the race, they, they can't keep looking back. And uh, in modern terminology, if you're going to go forward, you can't go like this, right? How many of you drive like this? You don't because you're going to crash into something. Even today, why are cell phones so dangerous in the car? Because you're looking at your cell phone, and even if it's only for a couple seconds, you don't realize it, but your car's going like this. So what do you do? You don't drive like this. You drive like this with your head up, and you keep your eyes on the road, and you keep your eyes on the goal. How many of you remember the story in the Bible about the farmer that puts the plow on the ground and he starts to plow. And as he's plowing, he keeps looking back to see how he's doing. And when he gets to the end, what does his plow line look like? It looks like this. Because most farmers, they look off into the horizon and they see their destination. It might be a telephone pole or a tree or a house, something. And they, what they do is they line up the plow and they got the horse back in the day when it was the horse or the ox. And they would put that thing in the ground and they would go and they would keep their eye on the marker and until they got to the end, and then they would bring up the plow, turn the animal around, and when they turned and looked, their line was straight. And then now they had lines to keep following. But the farmer that kept looking back, when he gets to the end, he turns around and goes, whoa, I can't follow that line. You know, I had the privilege, I had a guy in my church, Norm Miller, back in Rochester, he farms like 800 acres, and so during the fall, when they would harvest the corn and beans, I would come out and help him, and then, at, and then when he got done harvesting the corn, he always tilled it up, and he would let me be the guy that drove the tractor to till up the fields. And he got me in one of those big John Deere's that had the swivel middle, right? Big old ripper thing on the back, and he would take me to a field, and he would punch in some numbers on the computer, and he would drive down the, the length of the field, turn around, and then he would push a button, 
and he would let go of the steering wheel, and the GPS system lined it up with almost imperfection, like within an inch. And it would drive by itself all the way back, straight lines. He got to the end, he stopped it, he said, now you, can, now you know what to do. He got out, he went and left and went to go get in the combine. I turned that thing around, I lined it up, I pushed the button and I let go, and all I had to do was this little throttle, and I let the throttle go. And that crazy tractor, within an inch, straight down the line. I finished that field, I, it was amazing. And then he said, oh, if you finish, you can go to the next one. I said, okay. I finish, I go to the next one. Norm never showed me how to set up the GPS. So I get to this next field and I think I can do this. I put it in thing and I put the plow down and I start driving across this big field. And as I'm driving, I'm thinking, what's it look like behind? And I kept looking back. And when I got to the end of the field and I turned that thing around, it was like this. And I knew, because it's computerized, he knows what you do when you drive the tractor. And he would be saying, Jim, what are you doing wasting diesel fuel, right? Because you are all over the place. And so I just stopped it. And I called Norm on the phone. And I said, I, I don't know what to do. When was the last time you stopped and said, I don't know what to do? Because if you keep doing it in your own strength, it's not going to work. Your own wisdom, it's not going to work. I'm going to keep my eye on the prize. And when I drive that tractor, I'm not going to keep looking back. I'm going to keep my eye on the destination. Now, it was pretty cool. When we would, we would get about an hour away from Kerrville, Texas, my dad would say, Jim, we're about 60 miles away. Oh, okay. Then we'd come into Kerrville, the town. And my dad says, Jim, we're only like five minutes away from grandma's house. And now I'm sitting up and I'm watching. And then when we pull up to Grandma's place, guess who's standing outside? Grandma Effie. Standing outside her home, waiting. And we would pull up, park the car, and people are getting out of the car. And I'm running over, and my grandma is waiting. Jimmy! And I come running over, and she's hugging me and holding me. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? The day that we finish this race... And we come to the end, and we look, and there's Jesus. And he's standing there going, I've been waiting for this. And you run into the everlasting arms of Jesus. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, and then he'll take me by the hand. And he'll lead me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Are you ready for that day? There's no day like that day. And there's no God like our God who is standing there saying, run the race. Keep your eye on the prize. When you fall down, what do you do? Get up. Don't stop. Keep going. It's going to be okay. I'm with you all the time. And then when you see me, <laughs> it will be worth it all. 
When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. When we see Christ, one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows He will erase. So bravely run the race. What? Until we see Christ. Now, how many of you know that you're in a race? How many of you know that you're in a journey? How many of you know that it's not always easy? How many of you know you need to get up when you fall down? How many of you know that he never changes? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how's your race going? How you hold, how you holding up? You're going to have a baby soon. How are you holding up? Finish. Because that little baby's going, what a day this is going to be. When I can see my mommy and daddy. Can you imagine that scenario? When you get to see your child. Imagine when you get to see Jesus. That's going to be special for you and your baby. Doesn't even compare what it's going to be like when you see Jesus. So, I think I've gone too far. You don't have a clock in here. That's not good. (laughs) So, I'd like for you to bow your heads with me, please, all across this room. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. In the quietness of this moment, I always give some kind of opportunity at the end of the service. You could be in this church since the day it opened. And your relationship with Jesus might not be what you want it to be. You might be, this might be your first Sunday here. I don't know. You have to examine your life. You have to look at your race. Like, how am I doing in the race? How am I doing with the destination? Is my eye on the prize? So today, I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to have you come forward. But I would love to pray for you this morning.